Chapter 8 of On the Trail of the Space Pirates. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On the Trail of the Space Pirates by Kerry Rockwell. Chapter 8. See that fellow over there, Steve? whispered Tom. That one with a scar on his face? Yeah, replied the disguised solo guard officer. I've been watching him, too. And I think he's had his eye on us. Tom and Captain Strong were sitting in a small restaurant near the spaceport, drinking Martian water and discussing the shadowy characters that lounged around the stuffy little room. I'll walk over to the bar, said Strong. Maybe he doesn't want to talk to two of us together. You go over and see who can strike up a conversation. Good idea, sir. Uh, Steve, said Tom. Strong got up and with exaggerated swagger walked to the small bar. From the mirror in the back of the bar, he could see Tom rise and saunter over to the man who sat on the opposite side of the room. For three days, Roger, Astro, Tom, and Strong had wandered through the bars, restaurants, and cheap hotels of Spaceman's Row in Luna City, searching for information that would lead them to Wallace and Sims. Each night they returned to the freighter to exchange, sift, and analyze bits of information gathered, but for three nights they had come up with a total of nothing. Finally, Strong had decided that this would be the last night they would spend in Luna City. It was after making this decision that he and Tom spotted the scar-faced man sitting alone in one corner. Strong saw Tom stop at the table, say a few words, then sit down and order drinks. Tom and the scar-faced man continued their conversation, now leaning across the table talking in whispers, stopping only long enough for the waiter to serve the drinks. Strong noticed that the scar-faced man paid for them and smiled to himself. That was a step in the right direction. He obviously wanted something from Tom. Suddenly, the young cadet looked up and motioned for him to come over to the table. Strong merely lounged against the bar and nodded carelessly. Taking his time, he finished his glass of Martian water, then staggered across the crowded room to the table. Tom glanced up casually and then turned to his companion at the table. This is my skipper, he said. Name's Steve. You got a job to do? Steve will do it. Anything, anywhere, anytime, he paused. Then added with a smirk, for a price. The scar-faced man looked up at Steve. His eyes traced a pattern over the tall man noting the broad shoulders, the piercing eyes, and the bulge of a Peralo ray gun in his jacket. He pushed a chair back with a foot and managed a smile in spite of the scar that twisted his features into an ugly mask. Sit down, Steve. My name's Pete. Strong accepted the invitation silently. At close range, he saw the man was more disfigured than he had noticed from the bar. The scar on his face reached from his left ear, across his cheek, and down to his neck. P. 
Pete saw him looking at the scar and smiled again. Funny thing about scars, I got one, but I don't have to look at it. I just stay away from mirrors, and I remember myself as I was before I got it. So, look all you want. You're the one that's got to suffer for it. Ignoring the man's bitter tone of voice, Strong growled, I'm not interested in what you look like. You got something to haul? We got a ship to haul it. Name your cargo and destination, and we'll name a price. Ain't as simple as that, said Pete craftily. I gotta know more about you before we talk business. For instance, asked Strong, for instance, who do you know on Spaceman's Row? that can give you a reference. Tom spoke up quickly, without looking at Strong. Suppose I tell you I helped pull a job a couple of weeks ago that was worth a hundred thousand credits. He settled back casually, glancing at Strong and receiving an imperceptible nod in return. A hundred thousand, eh? said Pete, with interest. Not bad, not bad. What kind of a job was it? Me and two other guys held up the credit exchange at the solar exposition at Venusport. Oh, Pete was becoming extremely curious. You in on the job, too, Steve? Before Strong could answer, Tom spoke quickly. No, I bought a half interest in Steve's ship with my share of the take. Strong could hardly keep from smiling so easily with the young cadet's tail growing. Then, who was in on the job with you? persisted the scar-faced man. You look pretty young to pull a big job like that. Tom glanced round the room and then leaned over the table before whispering, Gus Wallace and Luther Sims. What? exclaimed Feet. Gus Wallace? A guy about six feet tall and two hundred pounds. Has a heavy, rough voice. That's the one, Tom said. Pete's arm shot across the table like a snake, and he grabbed Tom by the jacket. Where is he? He asked through clenched teeth. No sooner had Pete touched Tom than Strong had his paralo ray gun leveled at the scar-faced man. Take your hands off him, he said coldly, or I'll freeze you right where you are. Pete relaxed his grip and settled back into his chair. He glared at Tom, and then at Strong. All right, snapped Strong. Now you talk. Pete didn't say anything. Strong inched closer to the scar-faced man menacingly. I said talk. Why do you want to know where Gus Wallace is? Maybe you're a solar guard, eh? Trying to play a little trick on us. How do I know you haven't got a squad of MPs outside waiting to pick us up? Pete began to shift nervously. You got me all wrong, Steve. I ain't solar guard. Why? Do you want to know where Gus Wallace is, then? Strong persisted. Pete hesitated and had to be prodded with the paralo ray gun again by Strong. Talk, 
hissed Trong. You see this scar? asked Pete. Well, two years ago on Spaceman's Row in Marsopolis, Gus slashed me in a fight. I swore I'd do the same for him when I caught him. But he's been running from me ever since. Marsopolis, eh? asked Strong. Two years ago. Yeah, I think you're lying. You're a solar guard. Honest, Steve, whined Pete. That's the only reason I want him. Ask anybody. It happened in the Space Lanes Bar on New Denver Avenue. I bet there are five guys here right now who've heard about it. Strong got up, pushed the gun back in his belt. Come on, Tom. I don't like the way your friend Pete answers questions. Wait a minute, Pete rose from the chair, protesting. Strong whirled around and faced the scar-faced man. If I were you, Pete, he muttered, I'd sit still and not ask any more questions. It isn't healthy. Without another word, Strong walked out of the dingy restaurant. Tom shrugged his shoulders in a helpless gesture and followed, leaving Pete alone and worried. Outside in the street, his face bathed in the garish light of the vapor streetlights, Strong stopped to wipe his forehead. <sighs> he gasped. We certainly bullied our way through that one. I felt the same way, said Tom. But at least we have something to go on. You think he was suspicious? No, Tom, he was so scared when I accused him of being tied up with the Solar Guard, it threw him completely off stride. Well, where do we go from here? asked Tom. Back to the ship, replied Strong, and as soon as Astro and Roger show up, we blast off for Marsopolis. Our next target is a joint called the Space Lanes. Against a backdrop of shimmering stars that studded the velvet-black emptiness of space, the freighter Dog Star rocketed toward the red planet of Mars, carrying the four spacemen on the next step of their search. Relaxing from the three arduous days on the moon, and able to be themselves once more, Strong and the three cadets rested and discussed every detail of their stay in Luna City. It was finally decided that their only real chance of tracing Wallace and Sims lay in the Space Lanes Bar. As they approached Mars, Strong outlined their next move. We'll do the same thing as we did in Luna City, he said. Split up. Only this time, we'll go to the same place, the Space Lanes. Tom and I will go in first and do most of the nosing around. Astro and Roger will drift in later and hang around just in case there's trouble. The three cadets nodded their understanding, and when Strong turned to the teleceiver to make his report to Commander Walters at Space Academy, they took their stations for touchdown at Marsopolis. His face impassive on the teleceiver screen, Commander Walters listened to Strong's report, and when the Solar Guard officer finished, he grunted his satisfaction. Do you have any news on Wallace and Sims, sir? 
asked Strong. Yes, but my news isn't as good as yours, frowned Walters. They've already made use of their knowledge of the light key. They held up a solar guard transport en route to Titan and emptied her armory. They took a couple of three-inch atomic blasters and a dozen Parallo ray guns and rifles. Opened the energy lock with their adjustable light key as easily as if it had been a paper bag. It looks as though they're setting themselves up for a long siege. Do you have any idea where they might be hiding, sir? Somewhere in the asteroid belt, I believe, replied the commander. They headed for the belt after they held up the transport. Well, we'll do what we can for Marion, sir, said Strong. Since Mars is closer to the asteroid belt than any other planet, they might be using Marsopolis as a hangout, or someone might have seen them recently. Use whatever plan you think best, Steve. I'm counting on you. Thank you, sir. Spaceman's luck. End transmission. End transmission, replied Strong, and flipped off the screen. Fifteen minutes later, the dog star settled. Blast scorch ramp at the Marsopolis spaceport, and after a hasty review of their plans, the fourth spaceman left the ship. Strong had a brief argument with a customs officer over a personnel search for small arms. They were forced to leave the Parallo ray guns on the ship. Disgruntled as far as the custom agents were concerned, Strong was actually pleased with the success of their disguise as merchant spacemen. Tom and Strong found the Space Lanes Bar in the roughest and darkest section of Marsopolis. It was large and almost empty, but Tom noted that it was just like many other such places he had been in in Luna City. The walls were scarred and dirty, the floor littered, and the tables and chairs looking as if they had been used in a hundred fights. Behind a bar that ran the length of one wall, a heavy-set man with beady black eyes watched their approach. "'What's your pleasure, spacemen?' asked the bartender in a gruff voice. Strong hesitated a moment and decided to play all his cards at one turn. "'We'll have a thousand credits worth of information.' The barman's eyes narrowed into black slits. What kind of information would bring that kind of a price? he asked. Information about a man, said Strong. What man? asked the barman. He dropped his hand out of sight behind the bar. Tom's eyes caught the movement, and he wished the customs men hadn't taken away their parallel ray guns. Just at that moment he heard Roger's unmistakable laugh and turned to see the blonde cadet followed by Astro enter, cross the room, and slap the bar for service. Let me take care of these two, muttered the barman, and walked down to the end of the bar. Facing Roger and Astro, he snarled, What'll it be? A couple of bottles of Martian water, drawled Roger. Get out of here. Roared the bartender, 
We don't sell kids' drinks in here. Two bottles of Martian water, growled Astro, and leaned over the bar threateningly. Strong and Tom watched the performance with amused eyes. Without a word, the barman opened the bottles of Martian water and gave them to Roger and Astro. He turned back to Strong. These young rockheads think they're so blasted tough, he sneered, and then drink a kid's soda pop. Strong looked at Roger and Astro. That fellow on the right, indicating Astro's size, looks like he could be a little more than a child if he got mad. The barman snorted and leaned over the bar. What about that thousand credits, he asked. What about it? countered Strong. That's a lot of money just for information, said the barman. It's my money, replied Strong coolly, and my business. What kind of information you interested in? asked the bartender. I told you information about a man, said Strong. Gus Wallace. Happen to know him? Strong pulled a roll crisp credit notes out of his jacket pocket. The barman looked at them greedily. Maybe what you want with him, he asked. He knifed a friend of ours here two years ago. Yeah, drawled the barman. Who? Pete, answered Strong, suddenly realizing he didn't know the scar-faced man's last name. Pete? Pete who? asked the barman craftily. What are you trying to do? snapped Tom suddenly. Play space lawyer? You know Pete was knifed in here by Gus Wallace two years ago. Carved up good. He made a slashing gesture from his ear to his throat indicating the scar on Pete's face. So, you want Wallace, eh? mused the bartender. We want him a thousand credits worth, said Straw. You didn't tell me for what yet. None of your space-blasting business, roared Strong. You want the thousand or not? The bartender couldn't keep his eyes off the crisp roll of notes Strong whippled under his nose and hesitated. Well, to tell you the truth, I ain't seen him for a long time. Then do you know anyone who has? asked Strong. Hard to tell, said the bartender huskily, but I know the guy who would know if anyone does. Who? asked Tom. On Venusport, Spaceman's Row, there's a joint called the Cafe Cosmos. Go there and ask for a little guy named Shinny. Nicholas Shinny. If anyone knows about Wallace, he'll know. Tom's heart almost stopped. Nicholas Shinney was a retired spaceman who had taken part in his last adventure to Alpha Centauri and was a good friend of Strong's and the Polaris unit. Shinney had always operated on the edge of the space code. Nothing illegal, but as Shinney himself put it, just been in the code a little, not breaking it. Tom spoke up. That's only worth a hundred credits, he said. What do you mean? snapped the barman. How would Nick Shinney know Gus Wallace? asked Strong. 
They prospected the asteroids together years ago. Strong dropped a hundred-credit note on the bar and turned away without another word. Tom followed. And as they passed Roger and Astro, a knowing look passed between them, and Tom gestured for them to follow. Having heard the conversation, Astro and Roger walked over to the bartender who was folding the credit note before putting it in his pocket. You sell your information pretty cheap, spaceman, snarled Roger. Suppose those two were solar guardsmen in disguise. The bartender paused and shook his head. Couldn't be, he said. Why not? asked Roger. Because the solar guard has a guy salted away that knows exactly where Wallace is. End of chapter 8